before we jump in, gents, I wanted to take a, a, a poll of the audience and understand kind of the makeup here, because that might help us uh, tailor our, our answers a little bit better. Uh, how many in the audience are entrepreneurs running a subscription or SaaS business? Please raise your hand. Okay. How many are investors? All right. So about two-thirds or so are entrepreneurs. How many are B2B versus B2C? All right, just about half and half, awesome. So we can have a pretty good conversation across the board. Uh, today, we're gonna really focus on talking about um, where this industry is going um, as a whole. Uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to talk about where, where, we've, where we've come from. Um, over the last five years, you both have really um, been uh, leaders in the organizations that you run um, in subscription to push the industry forward, but we've evolved a lot. So the first uh, topic that I wanted to really dig in on, Chris, uh, you started Loot Crate in 2012, uh, and in 2016, you were the number one fastest growing company in the, in the US on the Inc. list. Um, what have you seen in the last four or five years um, uh, in the evolution of consumer behavior and subscription? So I think you know, it's a much more mature category now, and consumers actually know what uh, you know, subscription commerce is and what, a, and what, uh, and what we do. Um, early on, it was just a lot of like, well, it's explaining to people it's kind of like a magazine subscription, but for goods that are around interest you have. Uh, today, I think there's just a lot more awareness. I also think um, you know, the tools built around running a subscription commerce business, in our case, are much more robust now. We kind of had to piece together a, lot of, a number of SaaS products built for both e-commerce and for enterprise SaaS yeah. automation that, that really weren't specifically purpose-built for physical subscription commerce. Uh, so, you know, those tools being there has unlocked a ton of new innovation in the consumer side. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's a lot more awareness, a lot more choice. Uh, what, what would be an example of something that um, you did five years ago that maybe is irrelevant today given the, where things have evolved to? Well, I mean, I think when we, my co-founder uh, runs a lot of the kind of social growth piece of the business, we, we leverage a lot of organic growth on Facebook. Um, and those channels which Facebook promptly turned off like in mid-2013. Uh, it's still a great paid advertising channel, but I think a, a number of the organic growth, growth channels that we leveraged, uh, a lot of the social networks have paired back to have you focused on using their, their kind of paid distribution Right. Opportunities. So good so foreshadowing to a conversation we'll have in a moment about acquisition versus retention. But George, you've been in the industry um, for for too long, <laughs> a few years. Um, going back to your more BMG. than four, more than five, more than five years. Good. So let's go back to the BMG music days, the book of the month club days, the Guthy Ranker and Parak. Aging days. me, man. Don't don't right. mention that. <laughs> um, you've seen it all, right? Um, Talk to me about over the last five years, what you've seen, uh, the, the changes in, in consumer behavior and how that maybe has affected the way that OceanX is looking at the world. Yeah, uh, five years is good, but yesterday asked me somebody 10 years, and remember 10 years ago, people in, in direct-to-consumer would say, hey, you have to wait four to six weeks to get something. Think about this, and today the standards are sky high, everybody wants it the next day, and there's no shipping and handling anymore. There used to be shipping and handling, even five years ago, it's gone. What that means is we have to run companies cleaner and cleaner to have a chance to make any money, right? That has really changed. Five years ago, we were doing only email, right? Today, you have so many ways of, con of, of consumers interacting with you, and it's now 90-something percent mobile, right? Everything is mobile, but I would say the main thing is the expectations are high, 
and the market is just going our way. Everything is subscriptions, right? The movie pass, cars, anything, right? Uh, eventually, you probably can rent a spouse, right, through a subscription, right? I, I don't know. But uh, I'll be part of it, okay? I'll, I, I love this business. So, George, how have you, uh, as you've built OceanX, um, how have you adapted your product to the changing, constantly changing evolution of this, uh, of, of this industry? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm lucky because I was in a situation where, and uh, I think Chris just talked about that, there were no tools out there. There were many uh, disconnected tools, and I had the chance, and out of necessity, really not out of vision, out of necessity, and I had to build an end-to-end -end system uh, for Gathirenka, large volume, and that allows us to run an end-to-end -end platform now, SaaS, uh, cloud-based, and, and uh, you have perfect information. And what does perfect information mean? You really know inventory, you know your customers, where they really are, you know every little thing, and you use that information to play it to the, to the front end, so on the front end people can make smarter investments, right? Because it has to be efficient. There's no way you make money in this business if you don't run it efficiently. Definitely. And Chris, as, as your business has evolved and grown, you guys have been hyper growth, right? So um, drinking through a fire hose on that growth model, uh, how have you, and how do you stay ahead internally? What's your process to try to stay ahead of the curve? So, I mean, our product, about 20, 25% of our company is creative. So we're very content driven. So we, um, I mean, I think for us, one of the, the novel things is we have an in-house design strategy team, which looks a lot like IDEO. Uh, we've leveraged a lot of uh, human-centered design thinking to, to kind of really put content in the consumer and the product experience first. So, so let's actually talk about that. Why yeah. is that important? What are you trying to achieve by, um, by having an in-house IDEO? Well, a lot of it is uh, you know, starting to build systems and principles around best practices from a design and curation perspective. Uh, because that really has been a big growth driver for us. We bootstrapped for the first four years of the business, and the product and word of mouth was really what drove the growth alongside um, a lot of the kind of new marketing distribution methods. But getting that great product is the core, I think, of, of any commerce business in general. Um, and so having a team there that really thinks about it from a qualitative and customer experience perspective, I think, keeps the product uh, at that same real high quality that it was when it was much smaller and curated. Right. So that actually brings, and, and I think begs the question to talk about retention, because what we say uh, at Stealth is that um, your, your best retention is an amazing first box and is an amazing customer experience, right? So uh, do you measure, when you're, when you're going through uh, the process of the, the creative side of things, are you measuring the effect that that has on retention? Yeah, reten retention is one of the customer satisfaction, it's like one of the quantitative customer satisfaction metrics, but we also measure it against a lot of the customer surveys and the qualitative data that we use to measure as well. And so you get a more holistic view of what's going on. So you have to have really clean, tight data across the whole spectrum, because on-time box delivery is really important. So that track expectation of delivery date and tracking information paired back to retention or paired back to customer satisfaction surveys I'll tell you an enormous amount. Um, George, you have kind of coined the term retention marketing. Um, and I love it because you can't have a successful SaaS or subscription business without having a, a, a really good retention ecosystem. What are some of the things that you're seeing now um, as we move forward um, that you guys are implementing on either Dunning strategies or retention models? So thank you for the question, right? I, <coughs> I, I'm, as a back-end marketer, I'm, I'm totally into retention because 
So let me, let me tell you what I think retention really means. I think there's several tiers. The lowest tier is that you provide value, that you get this thing to the door. Just the basics have to be right, right? Without that, there is nothing. Uh, the higher tiers are that the quality of the product is there. In, in, in Chris's case, it's uh, different because it's lots of unique things. That uh, you come in the right cadence. Uh, you, you have the, the, another level of basics is right. Higher tiers are that you have curation down, mm -hmm. that you inspire people. That you why, give does curation, why does curation matter in today's trends? Because in a moment we're going to talk about the top three trends that you guys see are seeing in the market. Yeah. Why does curation matter for retention? Because life is overwhelming. It, it is unbelievable. Go to Starbucks, it's even hard to order coffee anymore. <laughs> so having, having a, a box coming to your house, whatever the topic might be, might it be cosmetics or whatever the topic is, and an authority, a company you like, tells you this is good for you, that feels comfortable, that feels like a good friend. Why do you go to always to the same restaurants? Because there's a certain comfort level, trust. And that's, that's the highest level is if, and this is retention, if a company creates something that you feel you belong to this company, they know you, it's an easy thing, it might be doing good, there's all kinds of tiers, but retention is understanding that, being close to customers. And coming back to the restaurant example, you, we don't go to so many because some companies, some restaurants, we feel comfortable with. And that's what I'm aiming to create with subscription companies. Yeah. No, that's great. So let's talk a little bit about uh, looking forward um, and what you guys are seeing in, uh, as, the, as the trends. And what I'll ask is, is, what are you seeing as the trends, maybe two or three? And then how are you addressing them so you can skate to the puck proverbially with your brand and your product? You know, one trend definitely seeing is like kind of a massive amount of choice in the market. And uh, I think a massive amount of overstimulation for consumers in general. Like every, our, there's Chrome browser notification, there's every type of notification, which as a marketer is kind of nice. You're like I could, I could snag some attention briefly if they opt in. But I think we're overwhelmed in kind of every way, whether we're consciously going to buy a thing and so we want to look at every review or we're just inbound uh, information. So I think curation and uh, brands that can kind of cut through that noise are, um, you know, really resonating and you see it in, you know, Warby Parker for glasses or Casper for mattresses. Those direct-to-consumer brands make it simple to make a quick choice. So how are you guys, how, so on the curation side on yeah. Loot Crate, how are you guys addressing that um, to try to surprise and delight customers uh, to create that relationship that George was just talking about? So we're, we take an editorial point of view. We actually go out and find and source those best products. So you subscribe. You don't have to think about going to buy a box every month. You subscribe, and then we deliver a really compelling experience to you from the best brands. And it's also what's relevant in pop culture. You don't have to be reading Entertainment Weekly every week. We're going to deliver the Black Panther shirt that you can wear that weekend when you're playing basketball. Um, so a lot of it is we, we kind of help you filter through what's relevant in pop culture and the best products surrounding it so people like us because we're that editorial trusted voice. So curation is definitely one. George, what, do you, what are you seeing as a trend moving forward? Okay, uh, first of all, we're moving from a transactional economy to a relationship economy. Uh, Amazon is fantastic, right? I love it as an investor, but it's pure transaction. There's nothing. And you know Amazon just delivers this damn brown box to you and advertises and yeah, it's it. There's nothing. So the, the trend is to create the, the, the stickiness, the connectivity, 
to to be relevant and uh, so it it is it, it not many companies will be able to do that right with unique product it's a wonderful thing so clearly that's a trend right so it's a relationship business in the future so for, as it relates to ocean exit how are you guys uh, I, I agree with you in this but how are you guys addressing that with your product and your your client base so i'm i'm really an execution engine right we're in the business of growing scaling companies uh, so I work on 31 brands. I, you know, they're all, they're all different, all different targets, and uh, you know I'm supportive, but uh, I, I'm, I'm very educational. I have to help people to understand and, and execute. Uh, clean execution is everything, but the, the content, the passion for that individual product has to come from that owner. We help right. to scale, of course, right? That's right. But I, I want to address as far as trend. I think customer service is an interesting trend, because. Of course, the old world was all phone. It's very expensive. The new world is all just digital. Right. Uh, there has to be something in between. Because just click-click is not good enough for certain things. Right. When it comes to the certain medical things, um, uh, skin care, where it is important to, eventually you can talk to somebody. So finding the, the middle ground, actually I would think Amazon found the middle ground. It's all efficient. You can do self-service everywhere on the phone. But if you need to reach somebody, you can. And this is really a, a trend where we have to find the balance. You, it, there's chatbots, there's lots of things you can, but uh, there's still humans. By the way, same thing with curation. Yeah. People talk about AI all the time. Yeah, great, but you still need people. Right? So there is a human element to all of this. I agree on the, the trend of customer service as a, part, as a function of marketing and retention in a major way. Um, we only have a few minutes here left, and I, I think one of the fun things is always to talk to entrepreneurs um, about the stuff that doesn't get the limelight, which is the shit we fail at, right? Because we all fail. He um, said shit. I said shit. <laughs> right? I, I asked permission to say shit, just for the record. Um, I wouldn't say shit. <laughs> so we, we all fail, right? And failure is where, uh, is where the learnings are. So... Um, can you guys give an example of some time when you, you swung for the fences and it didn't work, uh, and what happened and what you learned? Yeah, I, mean, uh, I can chat through. It, when we got to scale, we decided to expand the, the product portfolio pretty dramatically, and I think really think about, as a fan, we wanted to deliver, we wanted to have a lot of different options for types of fandoms. So if you were a diehard Harry Potter fan, we wanted a premium bi-monthly collectible Harry Potter box, not just that you'd get a Harry Potter item once a year in the, in the Loot Crate product. So we our kind of thesis in expanding the product portfolio was we'd unlock a lot of new demand while we were doing that. Um, and what we found was there was a lot of incremental complexity in modeling out 15 subscription lines versus modeling five. Um, and so we didn't have kind of the backend infrastructure around demand planning and then actually supply chain controls to, to meter. For some of these categories we buy in, you have to buy six months in advance. Um, so you can only be so accurate at modeling. So you really need to have demand controls at 90, 60, 30 days out, which you know, Apple and big companies like that have solved the science around supply chain. Right. Um, we just did not do that. So I think when you were, we were in hyper growth, you could muscle your way through it, but with expanded complexity, really good infrastructure and systems, I think are a key, key thing. So I think as you, as you move into a much larger, more complex org, like making sure you're actually just following best practices and executing in a clean way like you talked about uh, in proven science. There's no reason to get demand planning and supply chain wrong. You just don't need to do it because it's solved issues. So I think that for us, that was one of the key lessons is 
you know, at scale, a lot of these are actually solved issues. Right. Um, so spend the time to figure out how there's the, the proper way to execute. Got it. Awesome. Thank you, George. In relation to my age, I could talk for two hours about mistakes, right? <laughs> so uh, one of the mistakes happens to me still, just recently, because I grow a company and I'm so passionate about what I do, I'm too hungry. So you're in front of a client and, they, and, and you feel, hmm, but you want it so badly. And I'm so rational, but it's still the irrationality takes over and you want it so badly. So I would say the, it's always the hunger versus the rationality. So talk to somebody if, if, you, if you're in that situation. Because I have lost a lot of money by signing up things where it, it felt so great if it would work, but it didn't work. Okay, yeah. so that is actually true. The same thing with inventory, this ambition, the passion as an entrepreneur. So I've been falling in this trap several times in my life and keep falling. <laughs> um, last, last question, guys. Uh, if you had to give one piece of advice for a, a, an entrepreneur starting out in a subscription or SaaS business now, knowing what you know now, uh, what, would that, what would that little tidbit be that they could take away with them and say, okay, I'm not going to make that mistake or I'm going to do it like that? I would just say think about like retention in a really deep, deep way, the way you talked about. Because I think we're all like sales and growth are super intuitive, but retention happens over a much longer time horizon and is like there's a lot more psychological complexity to it. So I would think about, you know, really investing in the relationship. And that's, I think, one of the big differences between uh, subscription and, and some of the more transactional uh, commerce models is you you can actually make less money up front because you have this really long time period yeah. where um, you can invest in that relationship but be super nuanced about it invest in the areas that feel inefficient because uh, that's what's going to make that relationship feel different to your uh, consumer or partner good advice george yeah i'm sorry I, I run a company helping people doing this right so they should talk to me, right? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to say that, but uh, it is, it is, and I, again, I've been, right, it's very linear, I've been very young also, and said, no, no, I can't do it. So it is hard, talk to people who know, take help, and you minimize your mistakes, and you have a better chance to succeed, right? So, so what I'm hearing is retention and mentorship. Yep. Awesome. Oh, Thank you, guys. We're gonna open this up to Q&A. Give them a round of applause, please. Questions from the audience? Yeah. I don't recall where I was reading it, that it was uh, uh, somebody who studied the demographics, et cetera. And contrary to what you were saying, they were talking about uh, the baby boomers who were more relationship-bound with their companies and the millennials who were more feature-bound and less um, attached to the companies they do business with. And I was wondering if you had a on that. Yeah, I mean, I think you, uh, you know, your, your product, I think a lot of our audience is millennial, right? A, a large majority um, of our subscriber base. You have to have baseline features, otherwise your customers will leave you. But I think they are very brand and relationship um, loyal in the sense that in this world of a lot of options, they want to work with brands they know and trust. But if you're not the best offering, it's real easy to find a better one. Um, so I think if you're not building features quickly enough to keep up with the market, you're going to lose that customer, not because they're not loyal, just because they're rational and smart. 
I think in my experience, the millennial relationship with a brand versus a boomer relationship with a brand is just different. Millennials have different values. They look for different things. They're looking for deeper social, meaningful connections um, uh, versus transactional um, and kind of trust. It's just they're just different. So our recommendations with all the brands that we work with is try to reverse engineer the psychology of how your customer thinks, acts, and wants to experience that, and then create a product that ties into it. Yeah, hi. Um, so, if I recall correctly, I think uh, we create um, charges for shipping. And I was wondering when, um, like, what are the conditions we should charge for shipping and what are the conditions we should build into the price? The repeated question was about shipping. Um, loot crate charges for shipping. I actually, so I think shipping is like whether you break shipping out or or not is like more of a e-commerce merchandising question. I mean, I think customers are like, if it's, you know, we've had it where it's twenty dollars a month, and we've actually listed it both ways, and we've done all this A/B testing. It kind of breaks. It kind of is a break-even activity for us, at least at different price points. It, it may change. Um, but whether you show $14.99 plus $5 or just $19.99, I think consumers are generally pretty smart too. I think showing the total cost up front is a good thing to do um, earlier just so, but I think it's more of, I've always found customers understand shipping does cost money. So if you break it out at a reasonable price, it's not a detractor from a purchase, but um, I actually don't think it makes a big, I actually don't think it makes a big difference as long as it's not an outrageous amount of shipping. Yeah, I, it's true. Consumers are smart enough, but there is psychology, and if it's free, it seems like it's free. So that same thing, people still buy cars for nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine, right? So I mean, there's psychology things there where. So I would recommend doing free, although of course it's not free. Yeah. And the Amazon does it free, right? So that is unfortunately hanging over us. That cloud of Amazon, the influence. So yeah. somehow you got to follow that. Yep. About it, Prime, you pay more right. like you did free shipping, but it's not free. It's a psychology perceived value thing. We've done a lot of A/B testing where we said, uh, let's add in shipping um, and give your first box ships free promotion versus free shipping um, and your first box is a discount, $5, $10 percentage off. We have not seen statistically relevant data to support that um, when you add in shipping and give a free shipping code of your first box, that, that that it loses. So what that does for the GP, the gross profit of a company is, is massive, right? So um, you just, the, the answer is test. Other questions? <laughs> So I totally agree with what George said earlier that we're moving from a transactional Just a question for each of you. I'd love the best practice from each of you about how to, you know, if you were talking to advising a transactional company to try and move a relationship, what's one strategy or best practice? Question one, one strategy or best practice to move from a transactional relationship to a relationship relationship inside of a brand? And he's asked us each for one strategy. George? Customization, total customization, giving the person exactly what they want. Yeah, let your kind of have a large social team and customer support team that all can speak to the customers like they're friends, which is like very open, friendly conversation. For me, it's create a why behind the brand. Um, build in something that matters. Um, can be a buy one, give one, a social good, a reason behind the just the, the products for people to care. 
Um, and I'm, I'm a big uh, believer in doing good and doing well in business and harnessing business models to create social change. Um, and so I, for me, um, I'm very passionate about how you embed those into your, your, your business models to create difference because that creates long-term customer value relationships. Great. Guys, uh, we're, we're being pulled off the stage, so I just want to thank again Sutton Capital Partners and these fine gentlemen. Give them a round of applause. Thank you. <laughs>